Those are good kids. Wish I had more of those around. <laughs> My family. Anyway, I have nine grandchildren. I can't complain. So we've been talking about following Jesus. Our series is called Follow, and we've been talking about what it really means to follow Jesus. Not to imitate Jesus necessarily. It's not about just about what would Jesus do and asking that question every time we find ourselves in a situation. But it's to actually be more proactive in following Jesus and literally going to the places where Jesus goes and, and, and experiencing the things that Jesus uh, has experienced and that we actually go with him to do the work of the kingdom. And so we've been talking about that over the last few weeks. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Jesus taking us down the path to the sick and the poor. Uh, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about kind of in general what it means when Jesus said, come, follow me. And he told many people to do that. He invited many people to come and follow him. Twelve disciples, then 70 more, and then more. And, and, and Jesus just invited these people on a mission with him. And for many of them, that made a lot of sacrifice. Jesus said, you know, sometimes you have to leave your career. Sometimes you have to, you have to give away your money, he told one man, because it had such a bondage in his life. And, and it's important that we understand that when it comes to following Jesus, there may be sacrifices that we have to make. We talked then about uh, uh, the path of humility, that Jesus doesn't call us into fame and fortune necessarily. Jesus gave that up. He gave up the position of being God and became a man. He lowered himself in order to identify with people. And sometimes when we're following Jesus, it means we have to take the humble path, the low road, uh, in order to identify with people so that we can bring them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is good news for everyone. If your gospel isn't good news for everyone, then you don't have the gospel. Then you don't understand who Jesus really is. You don't understand what the Bible is all about. If it's not good news, it's not really what Jesus is all about. Good news for every person in the whole world is what Jesus wants us to bring. Then uh, last week we talked about uh, following Jesus down the path to temptation. And recognizing that if we're gonna, if we're gonna, uh, identify ourselves with Jesus and His cause and His work, then we are going to be put in the, in the, in the firing our, uh, sight of an enemy. There are, there are forces, powers and principalities that the Bible talks about in the world that really don't want Jesus to succeed, don't really want the kingdom to advance. And Jesus faced those forces as he walked on this earth. And we see it in the story of Jesus' temptation three times in the wilderness when he was hungry. And we can also expect that in those times when we may even be our most vulnerable we will experience an attack. We will experience discouragements. We will face temptation and testing in our own life and in our own hearts. But we need to press on. We need to, we need to understand God's grace and mercy is there for us. But today we're going to talk about Jesus and his habit of perpetually hanging around with poor people and sick people. Here's what it says in uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 16 to 18. This is a, a common question that Jesus got in, uh, in, when he was in the... Uh, you're going to get that up there for me? Or I think you missed two slides. Somebody up there? No. All right. But when, my, when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples... 
Why does he eat with such scum? That's what they asked. Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus was often asked questions like this. Why do you do what you do? Why do you, why do you teach the way you teach? Why, why do you say things that are so different than our, our other religious leaders? Why do you contradict them? Why do you contradict our law? How come you don't do things the way others have already always done them? And uh, Jesus would ask that, Jesus would be asked those kind of questions. And because Jesus was very unconventional in his ways. He was unconventional in the fact that he sought out those people who were often poor and those people who were sick. So why did Jesus focus so much on the sick and the poor? Well, let me give you a few reasons why Jesus might have done that. It's not because he doesn't care about the rich or the healthy, but rather Jesus saw some different potential in reaching out to the poor and to the hungry. First of all, Jesus found that needy people were more receptive. People that had needs, people that were sick, people that were poor, were more receptive to his message. They were more interested in what Jesus had to say and what Jesus was doing. In fact, Jesus didn't have to go and search out these people. They came to him. They were very willingly, they were, they came to him to seek him out and to find him because they had needs and they knew Jesus had something to offer them. Jesus was one who healed the sick. He was one that fed people. And so oftentimes when, when uh, people would hear that Jesus was coming to their community, they would flock to see Jesus. And Jesus always had a crowd of people around him. He usually had those people that had the greatest needs were closest to him. The people that didn't see their need were farthest out in the, and watching with their, you know, I picture them with their arms crossed, just kind of more critical of Jesus, not open to what he was saying and what he was teaching. You know, even today, you will find that people are more responsive to the good news about Jesus Christ when they find themselves in a, in a, in a situation of need. It's oftentimes when we are in a, in a circumstance where we are broken in some kind of way, we've experienced some kind of trauma or some kind of loss where we are, where we are hurting, where we, uh, don't know how we're going to make it through the next, uh, season or whatever. And it's times like that where we become open and more receptive to truth or to an answer. And that's an important thing for us to understand as we partner with Jesus in doing the kingdom work, is that we need to be very sensitive to the people around us and to their needs and their times of needs. That's why it's important to get to know the people you work with and the people that you, that your neighbors and the people that you cross paths with, whatever your circle of influence may be, is that you listen very carefully to what their life is about, what they're experiencing in their life. Because at the moment where they're experiencing need, where they're experiencing, uh, some kind of loss, that's a moment where you can, you can take the opportunity to, to just offer them some hope. And offer them some care and some some concern you can you can out of your the love of christ you can reach out to them i know that oftentimes it seems a bit odd but i found people very receptive that when they're experiencing something uh, painful 
or something hard, they're experiencing a loss in their family, that you would say to them, "Uh, could I pray for you? And, you know, that maybe seems a little little awkward to ask a person, but I have never found anybody says, no, you can't pray for me. I've even said, could I pray for you right now? And I'll pray with them right there in that moment. Other times, being a little more sensitive, say, I'll pray for you at such and such a time. Or we'll pray for you in our, our meeting or in our service or whatever. You know, we, we, we let people know that there is a, a place, there is a, there's a safe haven of help and hope. And obviously we can do more than pray for people. We can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus when people are sick, when they're lonely, when they're discouraged. This has been the, the, the methodology of the good news of the gospel right from the time of Jesus to reach out to those people who are needy. And they find, you find them to be much more receptive than you might imagine them to be. Another reason why I think Jesus focused on uh, the poor and the needy was because the rich people uh, and the well, or whatever you want to say, are less receptive. As much as the, as the poor and the needy are more receptive, those who are rich are less receptive. Now, Jesus, you know, uh, we talked about this last week just briefly. Jesus said, you know, it's very hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he says it's as hard as getting a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, was Jesus speaking literally there? What well, kind of he was? He was speaking literally. Now, just imagine, I don't know how many of you have ever sewn with a, a needle and thread. It's kind of an old thing to do, and not everybody does it anymore. But my mother sewed all the time. When I was a kid growing up, that was my mother's second job. She worked in a factory during the day, and she came home at night. She made a supper, and after supper, she sewed for people. So there were needles all over. In fact, you walked on our carpets. You were bound to get a needle in your foot somewhere uh, because my mom was just that way. And if she made something for you, there was probably a pin left in it somewhere, and you'd find it someday. Um, That was just because that was her life. And, you know... Trying to thread a needle is a very hard thing to do. Now, imagine that that needle is a camel, or even the hair of a camel. Um, you know, that would be more difficult. There is a little other explanation for that, is that there was a very small gate in the walls of the city of Jerusalem, um, a very, uh, a, kind of a, a small gate that was, was used just when, they, when, the, when the walls were all closed up at night, when it was fortified, there was just this one small spot where they could, uh, they could let people, latecomers come in and out. It was a very small gate. It was easy to guard. And it was so small that it was very, very difficult for a camel to get in, to get through. So you might have to leave your camel outside if your camel was a big one, Right? You get the picture? So Jesus said it's very difficult, not impossible, but it can be difficult for those who are rich to get into the kingdom of God. Now, was he picking on rich people? Was he saying it's just rich people? No, I believe what Jesus was saying, I think, can be expanded a little bit to say anybody who feels self-sufficient. If you're in a situation in your life where you feel like you've got it all together, where you have all the answers, where you have all the resources, where everything is, you know, you've you've lined up all your ducks and you've got it, you've got your life all planned out and you don't need anybody else, you don't need anything in your life, you're self-sufficient, then you're very much in danger of rejecting Christ and the gospel. 
You know, sometimes that's, uh, that comes in the form of money. You know, some people that have money feel very self-sufficient and they actually, you know, hoard money. They put more money away, more money away, more money away because they believe that having wealth is a thing that will, will sustain them. Of course, when they die, uh, their wealth just stays and someone else gets it. It doesn't really sustain you beyond this life. But many people pursue that. Other people, it's their religion. And some of the people that stood alongside when Jesus was teaching that asked a lot of these questions of Jesus, they were actually very religious people. But they would not accept the words of Jesus or the, the invitation of Jesus. They, they stood far away from him, mostly with a very critical attitude and a critical spirit towards Jesus because they felt that they were right. They were self-sufficient in what they knew and what they believed. And they didn't feel that anybody coming in with a different message was going to change them in any kind of way. And sometimes people are very self-sufficient in their religious ways. And that's a very dangerous thing. No matter who you are, no matter what your religious beliefs are, no matter how Bible-believing you are or how evangelical you are, whatever those things that we sometimes think we're safeguarded from this kind of thing. But we have to be careful that our faith is not in religion and our faith is not in in, in a system or in a church or in a, in, a, in, a, in a form of teaching. We need to understand that our faith is living and the gospel is real and Jesus is at work and he's calling us and he's radical sometimes. And sometimes we have to be shaken out of our comfort. And of course, there were people that were culturally self-sufficient. Culturally, they looked down their nose at people like Jesus. For instance, in Jesus' day, all the Roman citizens looked at the Jews and people like Jesus with very, with disdain. They really had no use for someone like Jesus. They would never stop to listen to Jesus because they were Roman after all. They were, they were of the upper class. They were of the, the enlightened ones, not these, these ragged, rural kind of people because Israel was very rural in those days. They were shepherds. They were, they, you know, they, they weren't as sophisticated as the Romans that lived in Rome and other parts. And so they would look down their nose at Jesus just based on the fact that he had maybe a different skin color or he had a, a different language that he spoke. And they would, they would just simply disregard him because of his race. And so anytime we feel that we are self-sufficient, it's very difficult to get through with a new thought, with a new idea, with a, with a fresh vision, with, a, with, with, with help even sometimes because we feel so, so self-aware. Uh, we have to be careful of this um, around us. We, we have to realize that some people, um, and even ourselves, we can ignore the most profound things around us because we have become self-sufficient. And our prejudices can hinder us. But we also have to recognize that in other people, we have to, we have to break down those barriers. And I think Jesus did that by the fact that he went to the people that were more receptive to him. And in some ways, he kind of ignored those other people. He didn't waste his time on people. You know, sometimes we think, well, if we could just get more celebrities to be Christians, then we'd get a better name. Well, that hasn't worked. The kingdom isn't built through celebrities. The kingdom isn't built from the top down. That's not Jesus' method. Jesus' method has always been from the bottom up. Jesus told a parable about a man who gave a banquet. 
And he said, they invited everybody to the banquet, everybody who was important. And all of them said, well, you know, we we were busy. We have this on. We've already got a previous engagement. Uh, You know, all those reasons. And then Jesus said, Jesus said, so the man said, well, we've got the banquet prepared. Let's go out to the highways, the byways, all, all the, all the rural areas. And let's just invite people to come. Um, and, uh, regardless of who they are. And he said, then they filled up the banquet hall with these people. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like that. Whosoever will, will come. And we need to be aware of that. I think the other reason why Jesus focused on the, the sick and the poor oftentimes was that really that was his core mandate. When Jesus was invited to, uh, to speak one time in the synagogue early on in his ministry, uh, Jesus went to the, to the front and he took the scroll of scriptures and he opened the scroll to a passage in Isaiah. And this is what he read. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. Jesus, Jesus took on himself a prophecy from the book of Isaiah and he owned it for himself. And he simply was saying, this is my calling. This is my purpose is to go to the people who are broken, who are blind, who are, who are sick, who are, are outcast and to lift them up from their place. Jesus got involved oftentimes in these issues of social justice when people were being marginalized, when people were being, were, were being cast out. Jesus, Jesus would often elevate them. Jesus took time to be with people that nobody else would ever be with. One of the most radical things that Jesus did was he spent time and actually had conversations with women. Um, Jesus was like, you know, an early women's liberation uh, person, like that was his, his, he, he did something for women that nobody else would, no Roman would talk to a woman, no religious leader in the, in the Jewish community would, would step out uh, across their path and, and go and speak to a woman, but Jesus did. He treated women with respect and he treated them as, uh, as, as, uh, People that had, had something to offer and he, he talked to them about their lives. He listened to them and some of them were his friends and, and he, he had an appreciation for them and he reached out to women. People, uh, in, in Jesus' day, people thought women were just, they, they really weren't real humans. If you weren't a man, then you weren't really very, very significant at all. But Jesus elevated women in their position. And so it's important for us to understand that when we are working with Jesus, when we're working in the kingdom, we look for those marginalized people and we do what we can to elevate them. Because Jesus, Jesus valued every human being, whether they were poor, whether they were rich, no matter what their race was. Jesus didn't discriminate against people because of their race. Sometimes people came to him of, an, of a foreign race and he would actually, he would actually engage with them. He, he offered them the, the truth and the life. He didn't dis- disqualify anybody because of their race, because of their social status, because of, of their health or anything. Jesus, Jesus was there for everyone and we need to do the same. We need not discriminate against people. Paul made this very clear later on when, you know, the church was forming. He said the church is made up of people of all races. There's not Jews. There's not Greeks. There's not men. There's not women. There's not rich. There's not poor. We are all the same in Christ Jesus. 
There is no us and them. There's only us. And so we need to treat every person with respect. Another question that you might think about would be, did people ever try to take advantage of Jesus and his kindness? Sure did. Well, Jesus, uh, one time he was, uh, he was out and about, and uh, there were ten men with leprosy. Now, leprosy in, uh, in Jesus' day was kind of, a, kind of a catch-all word for all skin diseases, right? And you might not have leprosy here, but you may have a skin disease that, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if it wasn't under control or that kind of thing, people might go step back from you just simply because you have some kind of blotches or something on your skin. People would be afraid that they might catch it. You know, a lot of us may have, we may have ailments, we may have, we may have things that are hidden, and we're able to cover them up. But, you know, if you have some kind of a skin disease on your face or on your hands, it becomes very public. And so when the, when the scripture says that, you know, Jesus, these lepers came to Jesus, they may not have all had leprosy, but they all had a very visible skin disease because there was, the people weren't going to take chances with leprosy in Jesus' day. If you had a skin disease, you were put out. You were, you, were, you were quarantined. You had your own place to live. You couldn't live with your family anymore. You couldn't live in your neighborhood anymore. You couldn't, you couldn't drink from the same well. You couldn't do anything because you had a skin disease. You had something that was visible to other people, and people shunned you because of it. So ten people came to Jesus one day, ten, ten men, it says, and they asked Jesus to, uh, to heal them. And the Bible says that Jesus healed all ten of them. And they went away rejoicing, they were so happy. But one man got away from Jesus and then realized, you know, I didn't even say thank you. And he went back to say thank you. But nine of them didn't. You see, all they wanted, really, all those nine people wanted from Jesus was a, was a, was a quick fix to their problem. And Jesus gave them that. Even though they wouldn't come back to thank him, even though they would now be, be able to go back into society, God gave, Jesus gave them a gift way beyond just healing of some kind of sickness. He gave them their life back, and they didn't even come back to thank him. But did that stop Jesus from reaching out to other people or healing other lepers? Or did he say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. That's a waste of time. They don't even, they don't even thank me for it. See, that's the humility of Jesus. He gave without, without demanding things back. Another time, Jesus was uh, teaching a large group of people. Um, there were thousands, it says. At least 5,000, because it says there were 5,000 men. Now, whether they were counting the women and the children in there, we don't know. Because uh, usually they didn't count women and children because they weren't really people anyway. You see? So it says there were 5,000 men. So we can assume that for every man, there might be one woman and at least a couple kids. So there could have been, you know, 10, 15,000 people there that day. And Jesus had been teaching all day, and they'd been, you know, kind of like this big outdoor uh, event. And, um, and then they were getting hungry. And Jesus said, well, these, he said to his disciples, these people are getting hungry. And, uh, and, they, and the disciples said, well, what are we going to do? Look at how big the crowd is. We can't do anything. We can't make supper for thousands of people. You know, how many of you could make supper for thousands, you know? No. Uh, so they said, we can't make supper. Besides, and it's too late to go into town and buy provisions and bring them out. It's just, it's just too late for that kind of thing. So Jesus said, well, what do we have? 
And they, you know, went around and they found a guy that had some, some bread and some fish and a little, you know, it says a boy. And they brought this guy's little lunch to him and Jesus prayed and he blessed the food. And, uh, and Jesus said, gather all the baskets and they gathered baskets. And then as Jesus prayed, they began to distribute the bread and the fish into the baskets and the just the supply kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. It's just like the basket, the original basket just never really emptied out. There was a miracle that Jesus Jesus did to to supply food for all these people, and uh, and and so all the people ate. They said, they said after everyone had eaten, all these thousands of people had eaten. There was twelve baskets left over. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, if you're feeding a big crowd, it's hard to estimate exactly how much they're going to eat, right? You know, you can figure for two how much two are going to eat, but twenty, two hundred. 2,000? How much are they really going to eat? You know, so Jesus, like, 12 baskets is pretty close when you come into thousands. But the interesting thing is, is that the people and in that situation, they, they, the buzz wasn't, oh, we're so grateful and, and this is so wonderful. They started talking about, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus was our king? Then we wouldn't have to work anymore. He could just feed us all the time. Look at what he's done. You see, there wasn't an attitude there of gratitude. There was, how can I get more out of Jesus? How can I get a free lunch again? How can I, not what can I do, but what can I get? And oftentimes, this is the kind of attitude that Jesus faced. It didn't stop him in any kind of way. People always seem to take advantage of the kindness of people, uh, of other people. Well, the other question you might ask then, is there ever an instance when the poor and the needy should, be, shouldn't, should not be helped? In other words, is it possible to give too much? Some people say, well, you know, if you give people too much, if you help them out too much, they might not learn to work, and people should learn to work. You know, they, sh- they, sh- they should learn that, that they've got to provide for themselves. It's, you know, there's a certain amount of human dignity in that, and, you know, doesn't the Scripture say that if you don't work, you don't eat? And there's this attitude that sometimes comes for us when we, when we hear about the needy and when we hear about the poor, there's a, there's a resistance in us to give to them because we think, well, maybe we're enabling some bad habit or some, you know, we're, we pride ourselves. Once again, we pride ourselves in our self-sufficiency. We pride ourselves in the fact that we work hard and we earn what we get. Uh, we, have, we, have, we have struggled and we have persevered and we've gotten ahead by the sweat of our brow or whatever. But we have this sense that we somehow have gotten some... We, our resources belong to us and we, we deserve them. And others haven't worked hard. Maybe they don't deserve them. We don't want to enable that kind of behavior. But you see, really, the, the way of Jesus, the way I see Jesus working is he doesn't really make those kind of equations. He doesn't really, as, as, a, as a person, I'm speaking now as, on a personal basis. I'm not talking about what government should do. I'm not talking about what society should do. I'm talking about what you should do and what I should do. And when we look at the example of Jesus, we see when Jesus was asked, he gave. When people asked for healing, he gave them healing. When he asked for, for help, when he, they needed food, he provided food for them. 
Now, was it the, was it, did, did they all handle it right? Did they all do the right thing with what God gave them? No. You see, our motivation is not, should not be about the person we are giving to. But our motivation should be the person we are giving on behalf of. Do you get the difference? It's not about who we give to. You know, we may see that same person, you know, asking for a handout on the same street corner every day on our way to work. And we may think, you know, we, we, you know, we all heard stories. He's a professional panhandler. You know, he's probably, you know, living in a better place than I am. Da, 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 da. And we judge. But, you know, our responsibility is not to that person. They're asking, and as I see it, I see Jesus giving. And what we will be rewarded for, what we will, the, the, the sense of satisfaction will not come from what we do for that person. Because if that person, if he rips us off, we don't have to feel ashamed of that. We had someone come to the church uh, this past year um, and ask for some help. And, you know, we try to really be careful. Uh, this person didn't attend our church, didn't, didn't, you know. And, and we try to be really careful because we are stewards not of our own money, but of the, the money of the congregation. And we really want to be careful. So I did some investigation. I met with the family, saw that they, they seemed to have some need. And uh, so gave them some, some funds, just, just a little bit of funds towards their rent. And I didn't pay it to that person. You get smart in these things. I didn't pay it to that person person i paid it to the landlord so that you know the money would go to the place where it's supposed to go there it's good to be wise a few months later i found out that this person was scamming all kinds of churches in our community now should i feel ashamed of that should i feel like like i did something wrong i didn't i mean i did my best i did my 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 uh due diligence as far as i'm concerned person was a professional scammer it seems and we just gave them a small amount, but others had given them large amounts. But you see, the thing is, is that I'm not looking to that person for validation. It's, I will stand in front of Jesus someday. The Bible says that we'll all stand on the judgment day before Jesus, and we'll give an account for the things we've done. And here's, what, here's the best description of Judgment Day. You know, we have all kinds of pictures of what Judgment Day is going to look like. And, you know, for some people, it's all about flames of hell and things like that. That's not the best description that the Bible has about Judgment Day. In fact, the best description is found in Matthew chapter 25. And it talks about the final judgment. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in to your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. 
Then the king will say to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then he will reply, they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. You see, the picture of, of Judgment Day is not about what we necessarily, you know, those self-righteous things we have done, those, ways, those things we've done to better ourselves. It's what we have done for others. Even the least, Jesus says, you're doing it for me. And so we need to understand that when Jesus talks to us, he want, or when he challenges us to, to be part of his kingdom and to follow him, he's ch- challenging us to give indiscriminately, even if people don't say thank you. Even if people just want, to, just want to use you like those people that he fed lunch to, that dinner to that day, that just wanted to make him king so they could get another free lunch. You see, that's what Jesus is. That's who he is. That's what his kingdom is all about. We're going to take communion today, and we've been talking about the, some of the metaphors related to communion. We've talked about the lost and found metaphor. We've talked about the great physician metaphor. But today I want to just bring this message to a close and prepare for communion. And those who are going to serve communion can come and just start passing it out right now. And um, <clears throat> you just hold on to it as, the, as you receive it. And I, I made a terrible mistake last week. And I have to apologize. I was told this. Uh, I said last week that our wafers were gluten-free, and they are not. That's a horrible thing to do. Um, I thought something that horrible tasting must be gluten-free. No. Uh, <clears throat> so be warned. They are not. We're looking for gluten-free ones so that I can tell the truth next time. But here's the, here's, the, here's the picture I want to leave with you today. The metaphor that we want to talk about when it comes to receiving communion, the, the cup and the bread. I want you to think of these two words, redemption and jubilee. These are two words that referred to, that were used particularly in the Old Testament to give us a picture of what Jesus did for us and how freely he gave without thinking about what our response was going to be. The Bible says that before we, were, before we even came to him, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. There was no guarantee that you or I or anybody in the world was going to believe the message that Jesus brought to them. He did it before any results were there. And the two words, redemption and jubilee, are, come from the Old Testament. And sometimes, you know, in our world, we think about, well, what does it mean to redeem something? We think about a coupon, you know? I take my coupon, give it to the coupon, and give it to the cashier, and she redeems the coupon and gives me a discount. That's what we think about redeeming. For other people, it's just an economic thing about, about uh, you know, um, paying off something or, 
you know, redeeming something that way, buying back something. But the Bible teaches something different. When, when it talks about redemption, it's talking about a bigger story. It's talking about stories like we read about in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, about God liberating the, Israel, the Israelites from, from slavery in Egypt. You see, Israelites were slaves. They were bonded slaves. They were, they were indentured slaves. And they had to be redeemed. They had to be bought out of that. They had to be liberated through a force way greater than they could ever do themselves. And that's what God did for them. And they crossed the Red Sea and gave them the promised land and all that. And that, that story is repeated over and over and over again with people that the same people, sometimes the Israelites, they turn their back on God. He redeems them again. They sin. He redeems them again. They fail God. They, 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 they do things that they shouldn't do. God redeems them again. That redemption is God freely given. There were rules in the, in the Jewish culture that related to redemption that were very unfair rules. There was a rule for farmers that if you were harvesting your crops, that you were to leave the crops on the outer edges so that the poor people could come. Even though you might lose some money in those crops, you were to leave them there so the poor could come and freely take of your crops things they didn't work for, things they didn't earn, things they didn't deserve. They just got them for free because you were obedient to God. It was freely given. At least it was supposed to. There was one other thing, and that's where the word jubilee comes in. There were several jubilees, but I don't know if it would make you happy if you found out that tomorrow was the day of debt amnesty in Canada. And every person that had a debt would be forgiven all their debts tomorrow at noon. Would that make you happy? Mortgages paid off. Credit cards paid off. Every debt you have paid off just like that. There was a rule in the Jewish economy about the year of Jubilee. It was supposed to happen every 50 years. It didn't happen very often because it doesn't make sense to most people. But it makes sense in God's economy. And the year Jubilee, every 50 years, land was to go back to its original owner. So if I owned a piece of property and I gave it to my son and, and you know, my son found, fell on hard times, it would get passed on from father to son or, you know, down the family. And it got passed on to him and he fell on hard times and he had to sell the land. And it went to some other family. Then, you know, that other family would have the rights to that land. But only for as many years as it was till the year of Jubilee. And when the year of Jubilee came, that money would revert back to my family. To my son, or to my grandchild, or to whoever was in line to receive that land. So, at the end of 50 years... All the economy would go back to set at zero. Could you imagine the world we live in if it was like that? All these things happen so that we could understand that Jesus, in God's economy, everything is given for free. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work hard enough for it. You can't be religious enough to get it. You can't, you can't believe hard enough to get it 
you can only receive the gift of salvation freely. And this morning, I want you to know that wherever you are, whoever you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you owe in the bank of eternity, no matter how many marks you have against you, no matter how many, how many things that you've done wrong, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to his death, to his blood, to his, his broken body, he gives to you freely redemption and jubilee. And you can celebrate that your debts are paid, that you're no longer a slave, but you are free completely. Just think about that for a few minutes. We're going to sing a song, then we're going to, we're going to partake together. And uh, so, Pastor Nate, lead us.